Hey friends, coming up on this month's episode of the Ad Sales Nation podcast, all from Media Sales Pro, we've got three listener questions. Mike Obert from Open Look and I are going to dissect Cindy's question about too many meetings, Emily's question about habits for 2020, and Dexter's question about the election. The election is throwing off his advertisers for some reason. We'll figure that out. Also, a new segment from David Walsh. He is the CEO over at Web Publisher Pro. We're going to call it your Web Tech Spotlight. That's going to be coming up. We're going to talk about uh, responsive designs. Also, January spring is here. That's Charity Huff, to be specific. We'll talk about the CCPA, the California Consumer Privacy Act. And then I'm going to be talking this month all about, hmm, what should we call it? Um, hmm, instant gratification syndrome. How about that? Instant gratification syndrome and how it's ruined advertising. Ryan, I can't buy your media products unless I can prove ROI. I want results right now. Well, what do we do to handle advertisers like that? I've got your answers coming up next here on the Ad Sales Nation podcast. Here we go. From the Brainswell Media Studios, welcome to Ad Sales Nation with your host, Ryan Dorn. Each month, Ryan digs deep on the issues and challenges facing media salespeople like you every day. Ryan is a 28-year media veteran, an Emmy winner, a sales coach, and he still sells media every day just like you. Now, your host, your coach, your fellow media sales warrior, Ryan Dorn. Oh, thanks, Deborah. I always like that. Your fellow media sales warrior. <laughs> thanks, Deborah. I appreciate it. Folks, uh, we're living in a world right now where instant gratification syndrome is a plague. It's a phenomenon. It's something we got to control or we're in trouble in advertising sales land. Hey, by the way, if you reach this podcast and you're looking for the Sales Training World podcast, uh, be sure to uh, to search for that in iTunes or on Spotify. This podcast is all about sales, but it's a uh, media-based sales. If you're not in the media business, come join us. <laughs> it's a ton of fun. All right, instant gratification syndrome. What is it? Experts, experts call it IGS for short. In my opinion, it's a debilitating disease. It's characterized by the emotional servitude to the now. I heard a comedian on Netflix over the holiday break talking about Amazon Prime. It's not enough because you order something and you don't get it for two days. And people are like, we need Amazon now. I want it in my hand right now. I want to press the button by now. I want it to immediately appear in front of me. And that's kind of, I mean, it's not just millennials. I mean, so if you are somebody out there over the age of 40 and you're like, Ryan, it's all the millennials. Uh, no, it's not. Okay. It's everybody. Everybody out there is all about instant gratification. And why would our advertisers be any different? So when you marry IGS, instant gratification syndrome, with ROI, return on investment, it kind of universally, they get lumped together under one term, results. I need results. But I mean, really, what is the term results? What does it really mean? I feel like that's the question that if we can get it answered by an advertiser, it could be worth a million dollars to all of us, a million dollars to all of us. So if we were to be honest with ourselves, we, we've let advertisers and misinformed marketers and those plagued with IGS control the narrative on this conversation. Sorry. I mean, we just have. I mean, how many of you out there have said print is dead, nobody watches TV, nobody listens to the radio? Have you said that? I mean, if you've said that, then you shouldn't be in this business. So what's happened is others have said it and they've controlled the narrative. So because of that, 
you know, we're in trouble and we're going to be in bigger trouble if we don't really pay attention. Now, if you don't mind for a second, let me be brutally honest. You're probably saying, well, Ryan, you are always brutally honest. Well, I'm not. I hold back a lot, to be honest with you. So what you're seeing now is like an eight. I've got more to give. Okay. All right. Let me be brutally honest for a minute. The reason, in my opinion, now don't send me a bunch of hate mail. The reason, in my opinion, that many marketers, marketing directors and agencies, I think the reason they don't like traditional media is because they don't receive a report that they can show to their boss or their client that shows they're doing their job. That's what I think it is. Because you can't tell me the traditional media doesn't work. We know it works. We know it works. Why would other, if it didn't work, Coca-Cola would not buy Super Bowl spots on TV. They just wouldn't do it. If it didn't work, like McDonald's, McDonald's doesn't need to advertise. They're just doing it to protect their turf. And they use traditional media more, way more than digital media. I'm going to give you some facts and stats behind it. So friends, I mean, consumers that are out there that are potentially buying your advertisers products, they don't bend to the will of a marketer. Okay. Consumers buy when they're ready to buy. So when our advertisers want immediate ROI, we have to control the narrative and help them understand what does that actually mean. Let me give you five ideas that you might consider trying when you're talking with an advertiser that's fixated on instant gratification. Number one, marketing, it's a strategic process. It's not magic. The only thing that marketing and magic have in common is the letter M. That's it. The simple fact we need to get across to most of the advertisers out there is their potential customers, okay, of their potential customer base, only about 3 to 5% of their potential base, 3 to 5% of our listeners, 3 to 5% of our readers, 3 to 5% of our viewers are actually ready to buy something right now. Three to five percent. Where does that come from? It comes from a stat in an article that I read by a great, great article by Steve Richard of sales consulting firm Voresight. Here's what he said. Only three percent of your market is actively buying. So let's round it up. Three to five percent of your market is actively buying. OK, how about this? Fifty six percent of your potential customers, Mr. or Mrs. Advertisers, are not ready to buy. Forty percent are poised to kind of begin thinking about it. And then there's that leftover 1%. Who knows about them, okay? So this means that, Mr. or Mrs. Advertiser, this means that 56% of your potential customer base is prepared to give you no immediate ROI on your marketing efforts. Another 40% of your potential customer base, Mr. or Mrs. Advertiser, is set to give you minimal ROI on your marketing efforts. Only 3%, so let's just round it, 3 to 5% of your potential customer base is set to give you immediate ROI. 3 to 5%. But wait, I need it now. I need a, a report now. I need a click report now. I can't buy media unless I get a report right now. Well, I mean, the real question, those of us in ad sales land, if you don't know me, I sell media every day, just like you, we need to be asking, what does ROI mean to that particular advertiser? Here's the question to ask, Mr. or Mrs. Advertiser, 
if we created the perfect marketing campaign for you, what would you want to see happen? And then get specific. Because marketing is a strategic process. It's not magic. The only thing that marketing and magic have in common is the letter M. Okay, number two, we got to control the narrative, friends. Number two, consumers love content, period. We as people, we love content. We love movies. We love Netflix. We love reading things online. We love looking at books. We love reading books. We love the experience. We like reading magazines. New findings from B2B research firm Clutch reveals that 82% of people admit to having purchased a product or service from a company as a result of consuming content. They like content, especially content that's relevant to them. TV shows, blogs, magazines, videos. The 56% of buyers that are not set to give you any immediate ROI are still critical to an advertiser's revenue success because those are the people at the very, very top of the funnel. They're going to buy at some point. They're just not ready to buy now. It doesn't mean they're not ready to be influenced. It doesn't mean that they're not a sponge soaking up content, seeing your ads. 56% of people, friends, are not ready to buy from you right now. The other 40%, they're close, they're middle of the funnel, they're important, but they're still not going to give you immediate ROI. They're just not, because they're not ready to give it to you yet. 5%, 3 to 5%, the bottom of the funnel, they're ready to rock, they're ready to buy. Yet most advertisers want 100% return on their investment, times 50, and they want it to happen right now, immediately. So we've got to control the narrative. You know, it's interesting. A lot of times I have to explain to advertisers what marketing actually means. I mean, come on. Some of them can barely run their own business. Some folks have just graduated as marketers from college. They don't understand traditional media because they're not talking about it. Point number three, Google's going to get credit for it. No matter what somebody does, Google's going to get credit. I mean, this is pretty straightforward. Someone hears a radio ad. What do they do? They Google it in their phone or they say, hey, Siri, search the web for blah, 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 right? Somebody sees a TV ad. They like the idea. They like the product. They're going to pick up their phone and they're going to Google for more information. You're reading a magazine or newspaper. You see something you're interested in. Do you immediately call the advertiser? No, that's not what normal people do anymore. <laughs> Instead, I mean, you, you pick up your phone and you search for more information on it. Google's going to get credit for everything, so you might as well talk about it now. Talk about it with your advertisers. You got to help them understand. Friends, you got to talk to the advertiser. You got to control the narrative. If you don't, they're going to paint their own picture. We either can paint it or they're going to paint it. And whenever you give an advertiser a paintbrush, oh man, the painting looks terrible, right? Idea number four, be wary because non-direct response companies are looking for a direct response. Non-direct response companies are now looking for immediate ROI. They're looking for an immediate direct response. Many advertisers are expecting immediate ROI on products that are not priced like a Gensu knife. Two payments of $19.99. But wait, there's more. <laughs> right? Direct response marketing 
is all about making things happen now. Yet many products are not priced or packaged for direct response, like a sofa. You can't market a sofa in a direct response way unless the offer is come and get 50% off or you buy a chair and you're going to get the table for free. No one's going to make an offer like that. So if you're selling a product or service, Mr. or Mrs. Advertiser, that isn't priced or presented as a direct response product, you're not going to get a direct response from it. It's not how people work. It's not how the world works. If your advertiser is not selling a product or service that can be sold fast by showcasing massive perceived value, they shouldn't be expecting immediate ROI like they're running a late night TV ad for some type of late night product. Again, Sunaifa, a slicer dicer vegematic. Talk to advertisers about this. You've got to control the narrative. Point number five, last but not least, traditional media is not dead. Let me scream it from the mountaintops. Traditional media is not dead. It's not. You got to stop allowing the lie to spread. Check out these numbers. Blow your mind. BIA Advisory Services. Google them. They report that traditional media had 60% share of the overall local media spend in 2019, with digital ad revenue at 40%. The numbers are nearly the same for national ads, with traditional media still over 50% of the media buy, according to eMarketer.com. Traditional media is not dead. It's not. The marketing mix now, has the marketing mix evolved? For sure. Well, Ryan, you just hate digital. No, I don't. Are you kidding me? My career in media sales was based around launching digital entities and digital products. Heck, I'm probably to blame for some of the things that I'm having to fix today. Most often, here's what happens. And this is such an important point. And that's why I'm droning on and on about this and preaching about it today. Most often, when an advertiser or marketer says, no one reads the paper or no one watches local television. What they mean is they themselves do not use that medium or that media, so nobody else should be using it. That's not the case. So here's how you handle it. It's actually, you know, moderately straightforward. It's not like easy, but it's it's moderately straightforward. Here's what you want to do. You simply ask this question, or you say something like this. May I ask you a question? Whatever your answer is, you will not offend me. I just want to make sure that I can ask you a specific question. Whatever your answer is, I promise you won't offend me. Sure, Ryan, ask away. Do you read our newspaper? Do you watch our television channel? Whatever you say, I'm not going to be offended. Ryan, actually, no, I don't. There you have it. So then you can simply say, it's not surprising to me that someone that does not read the paper or does not watch our TV station might think that others are like you and they do not consume our media. Yet we have found, I've got 22,500 readers who are perfect for your company. This conversation we're having shouldn't be about what you or I like or dislike as far as media goes. It should be about engaging with your customers in whatever media they consume whatever media they enjoy. Friends, it's called the survey of one. We fall victim to the survey of one every day in ad sales land. 
You've got to talk to advertisers. You've got to control the narrative. See, I, I hope that you love media as much as I love media. I love it. I absolutely love it. But controlling the narrative means we need to be well-trained and rehearsed on this issue. We need to write down the three or four most common ROI objections that we hear on a weekly basis. Make some flashcards. Go old school. Rehearse your answers with different people. Get good at the debate. Be respectful, but get good at the debate. Friends, I say it once, I'll say it a million times. If ad sales was an easy job, everyone would be doing it. And they're not. So we need to own it. We need to love it. And we need to grow from it as well. The real question, what does ROI mean to you? Don't forget to ask those advertisers this simple question. If we could create the perfect ad campaign for you, what do you want to see happen from it? And then begin to talk about ROI and what they can expect and what marketing really is all about. When we control the narrative, then we begin to control the conversation. And that, my friends, is when we start making money and we start making some headway on getting a better multimedia mix from all of our advertisers. All right, then up next, we've got David Walsh, Web Publisher Pro with our Web Pro Spotlight. Give you some advice there. Then we've got Charity Huff from January Spring talking about the California Consumer Privacy Act, what you need to know as media sales pros out there. And then we're going to wrap up the show with, of course, my favorite part of the show, listener questions. Cindy, you'll be standing by. Dexter, be standing by. Emily, be standing by. We've got your questions coming up next here on the Ad Sales Nation podcast. Hey, I'd be a pretty terrible sales coach <laughs> if I didn't have some sponsors of the show. So if you don't mind, stick around. Stay close for 60 seconds. Deborah, let's pay a few bills around here. Thanks, everybody. We'll be right back. The Ad Sales Nation podcast with Ryan Dorn is brought to you in part by the strategy and design team at Web Publisher Pro. When it's time for your media company to have a top-notch website that is designed for optimal revenue potential, turn to David and the creative team at Web Publisher Pro. Learn more online at webpublisherpro.com. Thank you to the team over at OpenLook Business Solutions. Outsource sales tasks, data cleanup, telemarketing, design tasks, or hire a virtual assistant. Reach out to Mike at open-look.com. That's open-look.com. Thank you to the fine folks at January Spring. If you are looking to grow revenue by offering white-label digital services like SEO, social media, or programmatic ads, reach out to Charity over at JanuarySpring.com. Charity loves to strategize about growing revenue. You sell it and January Spring fulfills it. Learn more online at JanuarySpring.com. Okay, now back to the show. Here's your sales coach, Ryan Dorn. All right, friends and fans, something new here to the podcast. Um, I asked David Walsh uh, to join me here in 2020 as we're talking about uh, web design, SEO, um, that type of stuff. Because all of us as media companies, um, we need to make some improvements. Not everybody's really up to speed. Hey, David, one of the things I noticed is that um, a lot of media companies will say, oh, yeah, my website is mobile responsive. And you go and look at it on an iPhone or whatever, and it's like totally doesn't work correctly. Um, so, you know, maybe if you could tell us why is it important for people to make sure it's actually designed with mobile responsive in mind? Why is it so important? It's so important because we're seeing media companies, especially that their traffic is 60 to 80, even 90 percent uh, mobile now. 
this is across all devices. You have so many different devices, iPhone, Android, iPad, uh, other mobile devices. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's really important that the site is truly designed to be mobile responsive. Uh, typically in the web development world, this is called designing on the bootstrap grid. Hmm. Um, it's generally the uh, best practice for designing for mobile usage. Um, but it's super important because as you see increasing traffic mm -hmm. coming from mobile devices, I mean, your site is going to need to be designed to capture readers, to capture their emails, to serve your advertising mm -hmm. uh, in the best possible way. Um, and once your salesperson's out there and selling an ad um, and they notify the advertiser that the ad is live, I mean, generally the advertiser is going to be opening that website mm -hmm. right on their mobile device, mm -hmm. uh, viewing that ad. Um, and they're going to want to see that their ads displaying properly, uh, very prominent in the right placement. Uh, so it's it's incredibly important for uh, mm -hmm. directly tied back to revenue. Yeah. You know, one of the things I noticed, tell me how somebody might um, might potentially solve this. You know, sometimes if you're building a, a WordPress site and if it's not designed correctly, you look at it on your phone and media companies always put those banner ads and such in the right rail. I'm noticing that when someone pulls it up on their phone, if it's not designed correctly, you'll get like scrolling for content for days and then all of a sudden you'll see a banner ad. So that's a that's that's poor design. When you guys design it, you design it in such a way that when it's on a mobile device, they can set those ads to be right in that mainstream, not at the bottom, right? Yeah, absolutely. So that'd be like uh, dispersing ads uh, among the content. Uh, generally, the way the sites are built, the sidebar right rail is going to the bottom of the content. So that's a, a very mm -hmm. common problem that media companies are facing. Uh, what we tend to do is take a look at those mobile placements. Um, and we use what's called alternate zone placement hmm. uh, to make sure that those ads are serving correctly on mobile um, as opposed to being pushed down to the bottom of the content. On a typical site that we make that small change, just better placements of their sidebar ads on mobile, we could see anywhere from a two to five X increase instantly on ad impressions. How about that? That's, that's amazing. Yeah, so WebPublish Pro designs and develops, builds custom websites for media companies. Uh, we specialize in working with media companies um, we specialize in using WordPress CMS. Mm -hmm. um, and with our experience, we've built a ton of pri proprietary tools uh, for media companies ah. uh, to help them generate revenue, generate traffic, um, and acquire users uh, that will keep coming back to their website. But if you want to find out more about David and Web Publisher Pro, pretty easy, just webpublisherpro.com uh, and get those questions over for me, and I'll get them in front of David. And next time on the podcast, uh, David will have more. Uh, more questions. So thanks for your support of the show and I look forward to uh, working with you in 2020. Thanks for having me. Very cool. All right. Each and every month, I ask uh, my friend Charity Huff from January Spring uh, to join me on the show as we talk about trends and we talk about new and exciting things in the digital world. And uh, Charity, as we roll into uh, 2020, I know that the uh, California Consumer Privacy Act, CCPA, um, is rolled out in all of its glory. And I'm wondering if you're hearing from folks what it's going to kind of mean to their businesses as in the media world. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, many of our publishers have reached out and asked us what the impact is going to be to how we're buying media next year. And quite frankly, it does not change how we do business because we don't capture private information about the consumer's or um, businesses that we're targeting today with our advertising. 
what the California law, I mean, it's the first in the U.S., so mm -hmm. it'll kind of set some trends for the rest of the industry. What it, it requires is if somebody in California wants to opt out of being tracked and marketed to using um, all of the new technology that we're all using to buy advertising today, then they can't be part of the pool or the audience that you're marketing to. Sure. So for us, it's very simple. If somebody from California has opted out, then we just never market to them. Sure, it makes and, sense. Yeah, and that makes it really easy and straightforward for us and easy and straightforward for you guys out there selling to, to speak to that. I'm only imagining that when California rolls this out, they tend to be some of the first, um, they rolled out some of the first can spam type of legislation. I imagine that, um, you know, other states are going to follow. Do you think it's going to be pretty fast that other states are going to follow? What are your thoughts on that? I do think other states will follow, but most other states have been giving indication that they're going to watch this year and see how it goes in California and how California legislatures have to change their language in order to make it um, actually fit. Um, unfortunately, we have a case of legislatures trying to write a uh, law about something that they don't necessarily understand in right. great detail. So <laughs> this will be a slow progression here in the Imagine U.S. Imagine that. I just, I so remember back, and this is off topic, everybody, but I think it's funny. I remember back when Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook is, um, you know, the um, uh, congressmen and senators or whatever, ladies and gentlemen, are asking him questions. And was all he could do not to roll his eyes because clearly these people don't even use the internet. I mean, most of them probably don't know how to turn off their flip phone, you know? And yes. so it always makes me laugh that these legislators are um, all across the, the country. <laughs> are They ran into the same problem with GDPR when it rolled out exactly. in Europe, you know? Yep. Um, exact, uh, exact same thing. So it's kind of funny. Now, as far as other things we're going to see in 2020, I know that household level targeting of advertising is becoming very popular. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I feel like sales reps out there, whether you're selling TV, radio, magazines, whatever media you're selling, really need to know about household level targeting. Can you talk about that? Yeah. And it's, it's good old fashioned, um, media sales, um, in that we're only going to be targeting people in specific geographies mm -hmm. based off their interest behaviors and tie back to the audience or consumer that your advertiser is trying to reach. And so just we now have the technology catching up with good marketing where we're able to, to say, I only want to target people at these households with these characteristics. And what is going to be really exciting about that as we roll it out into this first quarter is that you're going to see um, a nice high engagement level because you're only reaching people that matter. So for example, if you're trying to reach households with pets, that's kind of hard to do mm -hmm. if you're just saying, I want to reach everybody in this zip code, mm -hmm. right? But now I can say, I want to reach everybody in this zip code that owns a pet. Right. That's interesting. And so the data collection that's going on in the background, all that stuff is CCPA compliant, I imagine, right? It is. It is. Yes. I um, mean, it's based off of our buying, um, our buying behavior, 
um, our interests and all of the things that again are not um, not tied to us as an individual. And if somebody in California opts out, then they just aren't part of the pool of people that we market to. Yeah, interesting. All right, Charity, thanks so much for your support of the podcast over all these years. If you want to uh, learn more about uh, what January Spring does and Charity and her team, she loves to strategize. Reach out to her, JanuarySpring.com. Thanks, Charity. All right, friends, coming up next, we got Mike Obert answering listener questions. Got a great one from Cindy. Got a great one from Dexter, Emily as well. All coming up next. And uh, so stick around and stay close for that. Um, Like I always say, I'd be a pretty terrible sales coach and trainer if I didn't have some sponsors. So if you would, just give me 60 seconds to pay a couple of bills and we'll come back with your listener questions. All up next here on the Ad Sales Nation podcast. The Ad Sales Nation podcast with Ryan Dorn is brought to you in part by the strategy and design team at Web Publisher Pro. When it's time for your media company to have a top-notch website that is designed for optimal revenue potential, Turn to David and the creative team at Web Publisher Pro. Learn more online at webpublisherpro.com. Thank you to the team over at OpenLook Business Solutions. Outsource sales tasks, data cleanup, telemarketing, design tasks, or hire a virtual assistant. Reach out to Mike at open-look.com. That's open-look.com. Thank you to the fine folks at January Spring. If you are looking to grow revenue by offering white-label digital services like SEO, social media, or programmatic ads, reach out to Charity over at JanuarySpring.com. Charity loves to strategize about growing revenue. You sell it and January Spring fulfills it. Learn more online at JanuarySpring.com. Okay, now back to the show. Here's your sales coach, Ryan Dorn. All right, friends, as you know, one of my favorite parts of the show each and every month is when Mike Obert from Open Look Business Solutions uh, joins us to uh, to answer these listener questions. And Mike, I've got some uh, I've got some good ones. But first, a uh, happy, happy new year. I hope that uh, 2019 uh, delivered everything that you wanted it to deliver and so much more. How are things going? Things are great. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, yeah, really enjoyed our time doing this each each month. And uh yeah, 2020 is uh, is going to be a great year. Oh, that's excellent. Awesome. Well, we've got a, a question from Cindy in California, uh, Emily in Phoenix, Dexter in uh, some of my old stomping grounds there of Tulsa. Uh, so why don't we just get right into it and uh, see if we can give them uh, give them some uh, some advice? Hey, by the way, um, we answered uh, friends. We answered a question Mike and I did last month um, from a listener that was wanting to quit her sales job. Mike, you might remember that. Yeah. Um, so she took our advice, Mike. Imagine this. She took our advice, <laughs> stayed okay. with the job. And she's actually real happy. So there we go. Win, big win uh, for all, right. all of us here, uh, Mike, all for right. us giving, being therapists that we are. So. <laughs> all right, Cindy uh, from, from California, uh, her question, um, I've yet to find a system to effectively juggle all the multiple tasks and still attend to my customers and prospects, not to mention the fact that my company is meeting crazy. I'm unable to plan my day. Uh, got any advice on time management? Um, Cindy, this is a common problem. Mike, you probably went into this um, with your with your business as well. I mean, time management's a pretty uh, a pretty big problem for everybody, don't you think? Oh, one hundred percent, absolutely. Especially when you have those meetings that are meetings to talk about a meeting. I <laughs> I totally get it. I like to uh, to advise people that if you let others control your calendar, they will do it. And so I would really consider there's one of the biggest time wasters is usually got a minute meetings where an employee team member will come up to you and say, Hey, got a minute, 
Chet Holmes in his book, Good to Great, I think. No, that was um, The Ultimate Sales Machine. Chet Holmes, Ultimate Sales Machine. What he did is he set aside time for got a minute meetings. So if someone comes to you and says, hey, do you got a minute? Rather than just immediately dropping what you're doing, ask them to schedule time during your got a minute meeting time slot. So Chet would do like one at 10 and three and forced people to ask those questions during those time blocks. So I think that that could, um, you know, I think that could be really, really effective uh, as well. And then also make sure you block out time on your calendar because most companies use Outlook so you can see other people's calendars. So Cindy, block out time on your calendar so that people can't book meetings all the time on your calendar. Those are a couple of things I like to do. Um, what do you think, Mike? What are some things that you do um, to, yeah. to manage time? 100% on the uh, blocking out time on the calendar. And I typically will try and go in on Fridays and look at my following week and block out like, okay, I'm going to use 9 to 1030 on prospecting. Uh, I'm going to use 1 to 3 on customer service of calling current advertisers or current people that I'm working with uh, just to do the maintenance that I need to do with them. So yeah, being able to block that out and then also, you know, declining meetings. If somebody ask you, Hey, I, you know, they send you a meeting request, you know, go ahead and decline it. If you've got other things that are going on that are more important. Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. Don't let other people control your calendar. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, we're going to talk about some of these things when we uh, go through Emily's uh, question from, from Phoenix. Um, but some of the other things that I like to do is just make sure that I compartmentalize my sales tasks to certain times and certain days. So for example, and this is just an example, maybe you work on uh, selling of your events if you're in the ad sales business on Mondays and you work on special project sales on Tuesday or something like that. Um, For those of you that join us from other industries, for example, you might say, I'm only doing demos on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or, or I'm only doing meetings with new clients on Tuesday, Thursday. So you isolate some of those activities that could be helpful uh, as well. So, well, good luck, Cindy. Um, it's a, it's an interesting dilemma that all of us, you know, kind of run through. All right. Emily from Phoenix. I'll throw this one to you, uh, Mike. Um, she's looking for three habits that she sales habits that she could adopt in 2020 to improve her sales game. Anything that you do on a regular basis, sort of that's a, that's a habitual type of thing that could be helpful for Emily to know. Yeah, maybe uh, one thing is goal setting. Uh, goal setting is really important to uh, in my sales process of even if it's how many calls do I need to make today, um, but knowing what those goals are for each day so that eventually it's going to lead to that that ultimate sell. So if I need to make you know 20 calls to get five appointments and one of those five appointments is going to turn into a sell. So goals, I would say goal setting is a habit that that you should get into. Um, and, and even to the granular level of like, how many calls am I going to make in that particular day? Yeah. Daily. Um, You're talking daily yeah. goals daily. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, that's good. I like, you know, uh, CRM for my, so my customer relationship management tool, whatever it is that you uh, use, um, CRM use for me, I would meet very few salespeople that do not use a CRM that are successful. I mean, there's a few of them out there that still use folders and flip books and notebooks and stuff like that. But, um, if you're managing your business without a CRM from a sales perspective, I think that that's, that's crucial to get a CRM, uh, you know, of some, of some kind of those of you in the media business, you know, that, 
Um, I'm a big fan of the magazine manager and I've used it for years and years. A lot of my clients, I don't know what I would do if magazine manager wasn't there. I'd have to, I just, I would find another CRM <laughs> if that was the case. Um, right. you, you got any other thoughts on habits? Uh, one other thing too, is like, what, what are some of the daily tasks that you can eliminate, um, to give you back more time? Hmm. So things that, you know, that maybe you could outsource or, or things that, uh, an administrative person could do that maybe come easy and natural to you, but it's just time consuming. What are some of those things that you can take off of your plate to get time back to you? So that kind of goes back into what Cindy was talking about earlier of this time management, of, of being able to free up your time to go do what you do best. Yeah, no, I agree. The other thing is too, is, um, you know, make sure you plan time, um, some habits that make sure you are always looking to expand your knowledge. So I try to set aside an hour on Friday afternoons for personal research and development where I'm watching webinars. Um, I'm reading, I'm going to different websites that are important to my industry, expanding my industry knowledge. So I think that's, you know, super important as well, Emily. So super important. In fact, uh, Ryan and my wife and I went and did our goal setting dinner last night that we do every year. And that was one thing that was on my list of like, I've got to do a better job of continuous learning of setting that time apart of like, how else can I be better at the craft that I'm doing? Yeah. And you, what you could do, and this isn't a pitch for me, it's a pitch for, uh, there's a lot of coaches out there. One of the reasons that I use a coach and like a coach is because it makes me accountable once a month to stop what I'm doing because I'm paying for it, get on the phone or video chat or whatever. And it's expensive. Coaching's expensive. And, and remember, friends, if you find a coach that's cheap, they're cheap for a reason. <laughs> People say to me all the time, I don't pay my lawyer that much. Well, I mean, you can you can hire a cheap coach, but I mean, you're going to get probably cheap advice. <laughs> so set some time aside for coaching. That could be uh, that could be helpful. So I'll sign you up, Mike, for that. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> call month. me next Tuesday. Exactly. Yeah. Um, good question, Emily and Cindy. All right. Uh, Daxter from Oklahoma. Uh, T-Town, Tulsa out there. He asks, uh, he's starting to hear people say, this is so crazy. He's starting to hear people say that they're going to wait until after the 2020 election to make any big purchases. Any thoughts on how to get around that objection? Mount, wow. Man, I, mean, I, I have not on. heard that yet. That's, yeah, I that's 11 months away. I know. Um, I've heard some people talking about it and that there's some uncertainty there. I think this is what I would say. If you give up protecting your turf for 11 months, or if you wait to make a purchase for 11 months of some kind of big purchase software, whatever it is, you're kind of putting yourself 11 months behind. So I believe it puts you behind the eight ball to wait. The other thing, Mike, you tell me what your thoughts on that is, regardless of what happens uh, with a presidential election, it typically takes 12 to 24 months for anything good or bad usually to occur after someone's elected. Yeah, I agree um, with that. So I don't know. I have heard this. So one of the things I say, you'll laugh about this, Mike. One of the things that I say is, interesting, I have not heard that from any of my other customers, even if I have. I don't know. What are your, I guess we always got to be careful getting into politics because um, I don't want right. to do that with clients or on this podcast. So um, Mike, what are your thoughts on that question? No, no yeah, I, I agree. And, and like you said, it's going to take a while for anything else to happen in most good to great companies would be able to adjust no matter what happens into the, uh, with the election. So, um, I, I, I don't think I would just like stop my business for, for a year based on what happens that you have no control over. 
So I would, uh, I don't know. I, I would press forward. I, w- I would use that tactic that you were talking about. Like, man, I, I haven't heard this at all, but you know, are you really going to sit out for a year? Right. <laughs> right. Well, it's, a, it's sticky and it's a, it's a sticky situation and a slippery slope. You got to be careful because you never know where someone lies, uh, politically. And, True. um, you know, I try to make sure that I stay out of that. Right. And so I, I sometimes will say to, to, to clients that want to pull me into that conversation, um, Hey, I'd love to just you know, rather than focus on politics, I'd love to, you know, focus in on, you know, on this and whatever, right. whatever the topic is. With bears. Something interesting side note, I've had people that I thought were a Democrat and I've had people I thought were a Republican that as the conversation progressed, I thought we were thinking the same way and we weren't. And it's ruined. It's ruined relationships. It's ruined conversations. It's ruined client interactions. So, friends, I I would say, Dexter, I would try to avoid talking politics as much as you possibly as you possibly can. Yeah, I agree with that, Ryan. That's tough. That's a a tough one. Dexter, thanks for the question. Emily, thanks uh, for the question. And uh, Cindy. Uh, has been a friend and a fan for quite some time. So thanks so much uh, for yours as well. Hey, friends, Mike and I love these questions. So send them in to us, ryan at ryandorn.com, D-O-H-R-N, ryan at ryandorn.com. Hey, Mike, over at Open Look, um, you guys got some new stuff happening in 2020? Are you uh, just rolling forward? What's uh, what's going on over at Open Look in 2020? Yeah, I think we briefly talked about it on the last podcast, but we are really starting to see some traction with virtual employees. Um, a lot of the... Uh, customers that we've had over the years are now saying, you know what, I want to have these people working for me uh, 40 hours a week and either mining data for them, uh, going to find prospects for them, searching LinkedIn. Um, so I, we, we've seen a lot of traction over the last three months of people getting these virtual employees from OpenLook. That's excellent. That's good. Well, it's good to know. I use, uh, you know, the uh, you guys um, to my, do my social media and some virtual uh, type assistant type work. And it's a good use of time, effort, uh, and energy. And it's also, I think people need to talk to you, Mike, because I think, I think people think it's expensive. It's a lot more affordable than you would think to outsource a great deal of your sales tasks. Um, so reach out to Mike, um, open dash look.com is where you can find out more and, um, happy new year to you, Mike. I'm looking forward to lots of fun in 2020. A happy new year to you too, Ryan, 2020. Let's go. That's it, friends. That's the program for this month. Thanks so much for sticking around and and letting us uh, have an opportunity to uh, play a part in your sales life. I hope it's helpful each and every month. Hey, don't forget, send your listener questions into Ryan at RyanDorn.com. Ryan at RyanDorn.com. And that's D-O-H-R-N for the correct spelling there. A little bit of German, a little bit of Danish there. D-O-H. R-N. Hey, love to come to your office and train your team. If that's something you're looking for information on, uh, reach out to me at the same email address or visit us over at 360adsales.com, 360adsales.com. All right, friends, we'll see you next week. And uh, coming up next, the next show is all going to be about new business development. So stick around for that. That'll be next here on Spotify, iTunes, or however you listen to your podcast here. All right, friends, we'll see you next month. Get out there and sell something. Don't forget, if ad sales was easy, everybody be doing it. And they're not. So we're either crazy, <laughs> which is possible, or we found a career that will feed our families for a lifetime. See you next month.